Episode 12 is here and ready for you, the listener. As always, I sincerely appreciate your continued support. This episode is about a man who has given a lot to a club he has been with for over 35 years. But the interview is about the club he has served as well. The interviewee is well aware that his time is about the club and the collective of people who work together to be part of the community and to continually put multiple teams on the field. Emilio Salucci has been there and done that and has the proverbial t-shirts to prove it. But his ability to learn from others, think of others, respect the club and community comes across in his actions and dealings with many people in the local soccer community. For me, in this interview and in my interactions with Emilio in a committee capacity, he is always accessible and giving of his time. I deeply thank him again for allowing me to delve briefly into his fantastic local soccer slash football journey. Please enjoy. Well, welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm very honoured and uh, respectful of having this guest on the podcast today. His name is Emilio Salucci and he's synonymous with Paul Kemble Football Club. Emilio, welcome and thank you. Uh, thank you, Travis, and thank you for the invite. We um, obviously, um, you'd have to have lived under a rock in soccer circles if, if they didn't know your name and your involvement in soccer club, but if we go back to um, where were you born, where did you grow up and, and what sports did you play? Um, I was born in Italy, a little town, um, just about an hour, an hour, an hour and twenty minutes from Rome, a little town called Colilongo. Um, that's where I was born. I was only uh, around about one years old when I came came over with Mum on the boat. My dad was already here, and um, yeah, so very young. You came over with your mum, um, um, and then. What sports did you play when you were growing uh, up? When, when, when I came over uh, with mum, we lived in Warrawong. Um, actually, I played rugby league. I was, I was uh, playing rugby oh, league wow. for uh, Paul Kembler. Yep. And then I moved over um, and played league with Berkeley. Yep. And then I had an injury while I was playing uh, league, and I think I was about 18 at the time, and actually represented um, the Illawarra and, and played league at, at schoolboys as well, represented schoolboys. Um, but what happened, I copped a big injury. I was off school for a while and mum and dad said, well, that, that was the end of playing league. Yeah. Mum and dad never came and watched me play, but uh, um, but I enjoyed it. I, I, th- I thought I was I was pretty good at it, but I, I enjoyed the training, I enjoyed playing league. So then my mates were kicking the ball around at Paul Kemmler and I ended up going to a football club and I ended up going, or a soccer club back then, I ended up uh, training there and, and playing for Paul. While I was playing for Paul Kemmler in, um, in, I think it was the old under-19s, um, never got much game time. I wasn't very good at, at soccer, so I was always on the bench. Yep. So um, I never forget it that I was in, on the bench every single game, and the coach would put me on occasionally. And we played uh, Fitri, and Spider was in goals then for Fitri, yep. and uh, played Fitri, and and, and uh, I got put on, and I was amazed. I looked at the coach, Are you sure you put me on? He goes, <laughs> yeah. So so Fulvio Mickley, um put me on, and and Albert Chochi. Uh, took a shot from just outside the 18s, it was one all, it hit my back and went into the back of the net and uh, we won the grand final. 
And, uh, yeah, and that was my glory. But anyway, um, yeah. So, so back was... to rugby league, um, because I think uh, people who have probably, you know, yourself, we go around um, committees and, and coaches and whatnot and see each other fairly regularly, probably more so than our, our family mm-hmm. and close friends at times. Most people wouldn't know that you were a pretty handy rugby league player. So what, what uh, position did you play? I played in the, the centres, yep. but I represented out on the wing. Okay. Yeah, but, but mainly in the centres. And, and when you were growing up then, um, obviously you had some ability in league to make schoolboys in, in that era, because we're talking 70s there. Um, what got you interested in, in rugby league in particular? Was it just the group of kids that you were growing up with, or, or was it more that you played every sport and you thought, I like rugby league the most? I... I um... No, I did play league. I didn't uh, even play football or soccer back then at school or anything like that. To me, um, I always uh, enjoyed watching rugby league. Uh, yep. Friends of mine, uh, like a gentleman called Mark Harbury that lived up the road, um, very good friend of mine. We still see each other. He works for KNR. And, uh, he's, he's, my mum and dad never drove, so uh, his dad just take us to training. So... Uh, Mark was playing at Port, so I played at Port, and then he went to Berkeley, and I went to Berkeley. We kind of went to school together, always kicked the ball around at, at school or after school, and yeah, taking goal kicks with a rugby league ball, and yeah, so that's mainly where, where, where it came from. And in in those years before you had that serious injury, that then your parents said, well, no more rugby league, and and then you went to Port Kembler Soccer Club, as it was in sort of that early 80s or 80, yeah. 80 Early 80s, was it? It was very early 80s, yeah. Did you have any other involvement in soccer in terms of going to watch games on weekends or was it more league that you were watching as well in I, terms of watching the men play? I, um, I was watching league. I yep. used to go to Nolmulligan Field and watch yep. the Pokemla Rugby League team play. They had a great team back then, um, massive crowds and... And basically, that, that, that's where I was. And I, know, I knew the soccer team were playing at Kumidichi Oval back then. So occasionally I used to go and watch them because some of my mates yeah. were there. But mainly was watching the rugby league and not mulling. And it, yeah, it used to be my passion. And, and you were saying that, um, that you weren't much of a, I guess, a starting player, um, even though you, you scored in a grand mm-hmm. final, like you said. What took you uh, across to... Um, the committee side of things at a, at a club level uh, who who sort of introduced you or sort of spoke to you and said well you know you're around all the time you train all the time you turn up to every game you know maybe um, join us on the committee or the board mm. so what happened was um, while, while I was playing in the 19s and at Kumadichi um, I had a very close friend of mine or family friend actually he was much older than me but back then but um, his name was Angela Caruzzi now uh, I, I worked at Transfer Services, I'm still there now, uh, but Angela actually got my apprenticeship through, he was very close to my dad. So Angela was born in the same town I was born, yep. in Italy, in Colilongo, um, and Johnny's son is on is on our board now, but um, he he said to me, he said, Emilio, you're never going to be a, a soccer player, so come and join me on the committee and, and help the club out. So, so that's what happened, and that was around... 83, something yep. like that. So, um, and, and that's what I did, and, and I went on onto the board, and and um, but that, that was uh, he was anonymous in, in getting me to there. And so, were all, you in your early twenties at that stage, oh, or or just still? Like, oh, I think well, 
just touching 20, yep. I think, or 19, something like that. Yeah, just 19, just going on to 20, I think, when, when I joined the board. Yeah. So how did you um, find it? Um, I know myself, uh, when I joined the Bowgiani Committee, I was sort of 24, 25 maybe, and um, it was sort of a, a different uh, generation of guys um, and, and women as well. So how did you find it in very much just turning 20, um, joining the board of a club like Paul Kembla? Oh, the, the people on, on the board were, were very good. I mean, uh, because I played there, so you, you had uh, Frank Kudo, who was a the secretary. Uh, there was another young uh, gentleman called Joe Noni. Uh, Joe's been around the football fraternity for a long time. He's moved to Queensland now, um, earlier or late last year. But um, he was probably the same age, so he joined at the same time. But, you know, some really great guys on that board when, when I joined. And um, they, they made me feel very welcome. And um, they were my mentors. And, yeah, and I learned a lot from them, you know, with uh, hard work and, and, and what you get from hard work. So, yeah. And I think at that time there, when I was joining, um, we actually, in 84, won the first division. Yeah. To, to get promoted and then we had to get the ground ready where we are now and that was a lot of hard work. So you, at that point in time when you joined or when you were first playing as well, you are at Kumadichi? Kumadichi Oval, yeah. And, and then um, was in the process of moving to Wetherill Park around that time, was it? Yeah, we were at Kumadichi. Um, we already started, not me back then, but uh, the Frank Cooters, the Angelos and Frank Marinelli and... Leandro Trotchi, he was, uh, I believe, the president then. They really started talking to council about getting a bit more land because Kumadichi wasn't sustainable. Yep. And, um, but when, when, um, when we won the first division in 84, to get promotion in 85, well, we, we needed a ground ready and uh, George Naylor was the, the president of the association then and, and he gave us um, a, a KPI that he was coming to do an inspection at the end yep. of January and if we weren't ready, we weren't going to get promoted. Yeah. So I guess even in those early stages, you would have seen how a, a volunteer, hard-working committee works, works their backsides off to put something major together, such as infrastructure, as a ground to, to be ready to play. Absolutely, and um, I remember my mates coming down to visit me and it was during summer, they all going yep. to the beach and they're saying, come on, come with us and... You know, I, I, and I think that's what's instilled that, that kind of culture in myself is that, you know, when you make a commitment, you, you know, and even though all my mates were going to the beach and, you know, we all had girlfriends and that, but um, my commitment was to the club and, and to get that ground ready. So we needed all hands on deck and we had a lot of good volunteers apart from people on the committee and it was a lot of hard work. A lot, put it this way, uh, Bramble's trucks with coal wash and all yeah. that. and. Uh, yeah, and just digging the embankments and putting the the amenities block we, and all and pulling down what we had at Kumadichi, the infrastructure like the goalposts that were at Kumadichi yep. now at Wetherill Park, the fence around the perimeter fence yep. around the main ground. So it was came, all refurbished and came from Kumadichi, and I was there with a lot of other people pulling down what we had at Kumadichi to bring over. So it was uh, like it still is today in some senses a, a huge community effort by the committee and other volunteers. Absolutely. And other Absolutely. companies making donations and whatnot. That's the only way we, we can do it, yeah. And, and I guess that probably, um, like you said, instilled in you that sort of hard work ethic that you needed as a committee. And, and I guess um, 
you know, you've been doing it over 35 years mm-hmm. now. Um, you obviously enjoyed that process of the, the camaraderie, the fraternity of being with, you know, other men and women and, and putting something together for the community. Yeah, look, um, absolutely. And, and the people you meet and the learnings and the amount of things I've learned from these people has been immense. And uh, uh, I think it's made me a, a better person by being around them people that, that, that worked hard for the club and instilled that passion and confidence in, in myself. And in those um, early years, um, I'm uh, guessing from some of the pictures that I've seen, but um, Port were in the black and white stripes and more so in white shorts in that in that era. White shorts and white socks. socks yeah. rather than the black, the, and, black and black, yeah. the black and black that we, we know of now, but still the black and white stripes. So in the rest of those um, 80s, um, you know, what do you remember of the the rest of the 80s as a committee member and in terms of, I guess, some of the, the other committee guys, some other notable events or coaches that you had or... Oh, we, yeah, coaches. In the 80s? Yeah, Because Rob Giraldi... Rob Giraldi, Rob Giraldi was there. I think he was around in the, the 90s. But but towards towards the 80s, in the 80s, you know, we had coaches like Robbie Fryer. Yep. Um, we had... Um, who had coached Harris and, yeah, and whatnot, coached Harris, and played State League. Williams, who coached South Coast United. United. Uh, Natch Varadov, yep. you know, he coached the club as well. They're, they're three that I can remember just off the top of my head. I might have, Carl Owens, um, yeah, I might have missed one or two. But uh, um, but before that too, like uh, Angela, uh, Angelucci, ben, ben Angelucci, sorry. You know, uh, he was there at Comidici. Uh, but, you know, the one that really typified and got us into the Premier League was a coach called Joe Marina yep. who came from Willow Wanderers. Joe was a, a great, great person for our club. He got us promoted and actually the first game when we opened up Wetherill Park in 85 we played Bulleye and Bulleye yep. were the league champions from the year before and you know, we had a massive crowd and I think there was over 4,000 people there and um, um, we beat Bulleye 6-1 and yeah so uh, but then again, we had a lot of, you know, we got relegated in, yeah. I think, 87 or 88. Yeah, it's a later we, part of the 80s. Yeah, we, we, when Neil was there, uh, when Neil Williams was there, uh, unfortunately we got relegated, but uh, never forget, we won the Baptist Cup that year as well. Um, That's bizarre, isn't and, it? Uh, uh, playing from Gilla at, uh, at uh, Kimberley Grange, South Coast United's ground. So, um, and I was on, not on the bench, but I think I was helping out with the team manager's role then. But yep. yeah, so we won that. But um, at the same time, we got relegated, and yeah, and we, so we've had good, and, good and hard times as well. And so, in the in those early few years in the eighties, you were wearing a few different hats: committee person, sort of, I guess, dog's body, and then helping out as a manager or wherever the help was needed. You put your hand up. Yeah, I was on the committee first and foremost, but then I even helped out doing a bit of. Uh, uh, strapping. Yep. I helped out being uh, an assistant manager to uh, Mick Kuda's reserve yep. grade team back yep. then and, and also then assisting with the first grade. Yeah, so I wore a lot of different hats. And um, John Carusi, who you spoke of before, um, sent me uh, through along with Maria and yourself uh, quite a few pictures of, of uh, Paul Kembler history, which has been brilliant. Um, because uh, I think it was only last year or the year before you celebrated an anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, what I got from some of those pictures, it wasn't just um, 
uh, playing pitches. There was um, some great, uh, great hairstyles, great fashion, sort of great presentation nights and great mm. celebrations there. So it was really a, a family-orientated club, wasn't it, that really brought the community together? Yeah, and, and still is. But um, back then, like, we used to have presentations up here at the front and, you know, you, you get 400 people. But people were wearing bow ties. Our players were wearing <laughs> ties. Our players, you know, like, we were just different. just totally different. Like, it, because we probably just had the one event of the year, which was yep. our presentation, everybody got dressed up. And as you can see in some of the photos, you know, we got people there dressed up with ties and suits and jackets, and it was amazing, amazing. To get the amount of people, number of people we got, even when we held the Miss Paul Kemblers, you know, upstairs at the fraternity club, we have 500 people, we couldn't fit any more in. We just That's crazy. Yeah. And it was very much... Um, as you've said, Trevor, it was very much a family-orientated club. I still believe it still is today, but things have changed as you, yeah. as you go on. But, but back then, it, it was part of the community. Well, you're still doing things such as a yeah. pizza day and whatnot that uh, involve the community and, and just being a club itself mm-hmm. is being part of the community. So uh, before we go into the 90s, which is a, an important period as well, um, and not necessarily just because trophies were won. Um, that um, opening of Weatherall Park, um, you know, I think people um, uh, do remember, but sometimes people might say, oh, 4,000, you're kidding yourself, Emilio. But there was, you know, 4,000 there. What, what was the sort of feeling that, you know, the opening of new ground, you're in Premier League and there's 4,000 people at a suburban ground. It's really... It's intimate. It must have been a fantastic oh. feeling for everyone involved and just the noise and the buzz. I never forget my job was to walk out the band. So we had a, a marching band there yep. too. So that went around and that went around the ground. So I had to make sure that none of the kids came, um, you know, in front of the, the band. And, and we had committee members stationed all around the ground. But it was... Um, it was just a great atmosphere. We had the priest down there that blessed the ground, yep. part of our culture. You know, that, that, that's what we like doing. I'm assuming there would have been some politicians as well. Uh, yeah, um, the Lord Mayor was there, and um, he opened the ground up. And I, I was a bit young there, so I don't know who was was there from from the politicians, but there would have been a few. Yeah. And and you come into the '90s, and um, it's probably um, in terms of people. Um, when they read newspapers or sort of think about it, you know, first grade's first grade. But, you know, when I look at the the older ISA handbooks and whatnot, you know, there was 92, 93, 94, 98 and 99 where you won the club championship. Mm-hmm. You guys were strong in all grades. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, there's probably a lot of players, a lot of people involved, but it was a, such a golden era and even into those early 2000s. But as a club, you were very strong. Was that... Um, do you think just uh, a lot of hard work from a lot of people or, or was just a coincidence sometimes that you had just three strong grades? I, I think it was a lot of hard work, but I also thought our, our coaching staff, I, mean, I think back then led by Adrian Olsen, so we've Adrian, he's, he was 13 years straight with the club. Yeah. So so I think that brought a lot of stability back to the club and, and um, he was there when, he was actually coaching us in first division when we got promoted. And, and I think having Adrian and someone like this statue at our club just just kind of opened up doors for us and, and having um, and having coaches that wanted to come there and, and coach some of the... Look, Eddie DeGabriel, the head of uh, Football South Coast, he won a grand final, then coaching our reserve grade team as well. And, 
and you know, so we, we had a lot of um, uh, a lot of really good coaches that attracted a lot. We never used to have trials back then. Yep. You know, like we, a lot of players just wanted to come and like a lot of clubs, you know, they, if they wanted to play for Port, they'll go to Port. If they wanted to play for Bialgani, they'll go to Bialgani. But uh, that's the way it was back then. And I think having Adrian then and just having that name and, and the way he got on with everybody, I think attracted a lot of good players. To yeah, the club. that's what I wanted to sort of know. How did, um, because I think it was 92 it might have been that he coached in first division to yes. get you up. Yeah. And you did the double that year to get into Premier League. So, um, prior to 92, because um, I think he might have been at Coromel in 91, maybe. He was, yes. So um, how did it come about that um, you get a, a former Socceroo? Um, how did it come about that the committee went and got him or talked to him or approached so, him? So um, at that stage there, I actually, because of work, I had to drop off the club scene for yep. one or two years. So um, there was uh, Vince Rochelle was the president there yep. and... And, and a few others, and I believe that um, uh, Vince uh, went went and, and tapped him and uh, tapped him on the shoulder and asked him if he was interested. But I remember as well that I must have been involved after that because when we had the interview with with um, uh, Adrian, there was uh, Frank Giuliani, uh, uh, Claude Cuda back then, yep. and myself that actually met with Adrian at, at Port Leagues, and and um, and he, he came on board at. at as our coach, so I might get a bit confused with the, the yeah, actual that. years and that, but but um, yeah, and uh, he jumped at it. I mean, he, I never we even asked him like uh, you know, can you have, have you handled pressure? You know, like being come to a club like Port Kembla, which you know our supporters are, there was a lot of them that wanted their success, and he just answered back, well, when you can play in front of 110,000 people in a World Cup. <laughs> you can handle any pressure, so you know, and that was Adrian, and yeah, and he, he did very well while he was there. Yeah, like I said, countless trophies, but that club championship sort of run through that nineties and even in the early two thousands. So, so when you um, can you talk a bit more in depth about Adrian as a as a person as a coach because it's not. You know, you can't just be a socceroo and then become a great coach. Yeah. You know, um, the, like you said, you know, the club, I guess, gave him the right environment and then he's got to then develop and gel the players. So what made Adrian a, a very good, if not one of the best coaches we've seen? Well, Adrian's uh, strength was game day. He could read a game without without fear. He could, he could uh, make changes. He could turn a, a game on its head. That was his strength. At training... He worked hard at training, but he would tell you himself, he, you know, like his training wasn't his strength that he, he wanted, but his training was short and they were quick and they were straight on the mark. And, and, and you know, he didn't have players waiting and while he would talk to them and that, yep. and, and getting cold. He in, would, out. He was in, out, an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, you know, the players were trained and been already gone. And, and he was a very quick coach, but technically, on game day, his strength was he could turn the game on its head. And, but the other thing with Adrian too is that he brought the whole club together. He was someone that would come to the club after a game and he would have a thousand people around him. He'd just telling stories and, and, and doing tricks and, and, and people just loved him and loved being around him and listening to his stories and, and, and some, of the, some of the history and some of the attributes that he could pass on to some of our younger players was 
you can't put a price on that. Yeah, definitely. So, but but he, his strength was man management as yep. well. You know, he could look. We, have, we used to have a powerful squad. You know, look, we could have 20, 22 players that could play first grade, and he had to manage that. And we never had players that oh, I'm not playing first grade. I want to leave. You know, there was none of that. He he was able to get the best out of them and still have them around, even if they weren't playing first grade that weekend. And what about the uh, the committee side? Because um, I think people always try and equate success to money, but it's not necessarily the case because each year in Premier League, as you know far better than me, there's probably four or five clubs, you know, maybe spending in the same ballpark, but there's only one or two clubs that might win the league or Grand Final do the double or Bampton Cup. So there's got to be something else that makes you successful, isn't there? Yeah, and, and that comes, it's not all about the money because people even back then when we were winning a lot of things thought that we were spending a lot of money, but we weren't, we weren't. And um, what, what we were doing is getting the correct players in the club and, and we had a policy that whoever we bring in the club needs to fit that yep. culture, that mould of the club and, and Adrian was very big on that as well. So, you know, we, we had players asking to come but maybe didn't fit the mould at yep. that time. So, you know, even though they were good players. So we were very careful on who we brought into the club because we wanted to keep the foundation and also keep the culture we had. And and there was probably multiple, I guess, league championships, which I probably consider more important than grand finals compared to other people, but there was a lot of grand finals. Is there sort of in those 90s, early 2000s, is there one or two grand finals that might stick out? I guess they're all equally important. Um, but is there anything that sort of sticks out in your memory, in your time there, that you think, well... So, if we, if we look back to the 90s, I'll, I'll pick three. Yep. One was when we beat Lysarts at, uh, at Brandon Park. Yep. There was a massive crowd there. Yeah, I think I was there at that game. Yeah, we beat them 1-0. Um, so, and, and then we, we, I think that was 96 or 95, I'm not sure, but we beat them. I think that first one there... Was, was one another one I want to pick out is when we lost to Coniston 4 0. That was uh, Coniston were great on that day and, and just blew us off the park. Uh, yeah. But the, the one that I want to pick out is when at Wynn Stadium, it was Adrian Austin's last year in 2004, yep. and when he went to the Wolves, and we lost a host of players that went to the Wolves too. And we, we did the double that year again, and, and we beat Picton 4 0 in, in, in the grand final. Who were a very strong team. A very strong team. And, and to do that, it just you know everything just came together. Dominic Longo was playing for us back then too at the back with Robbie Cazzoli. and you know so if you look at them three there, the first grand final against uh, Lysarts, yep. and and then the one that we lost, I'll throw that in there because that was to us it was a grand final, but not one that you would probably say well why are you mentioning that, but to me that taught us a lot as well yep. because we were winning, 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 then all of a sudden bang we got the uh, a four nil uh, loss there, and and then. To win um, that last one with Adrian being at the helm, I think was very special. And was that sort of just um, something that, because Adrian had coached the Wolves in the early 80s as well, and I guess the Wolves were, I guess, transitioning, um, and so was it more of a matter of, well, he wanted to coach the Wolves and, and you guys had had a fantastic journey with him, and then it was just... Thank you, everybody, and, and yeah. that's how it sort of happened. It was a sad. It was very sad because during the year of two thousand and four, towards the back half, you know, we wanted to sign Adrian up again, and yeah, he could have had the job there as long as he wanted. You know, yep. he wasn't going anywhere. 
But um, he was um, approached by the Wolves to, to um, lead them in, in 2005. And, and he, we, had a, we had a coffee and, and he said that to myself, that um, you know, he, he was up for the challenge and we didn't want to hold him back. You yeah. know, he had a tremendous run with us and, and uh, he was going to a higher league and um, we wished him all the best. You know, we had, a, we had a Peter Dent, and I'll never forget a Peter Dent and Adrian and myself had a, a bit of a, uh, a drink at Valley Pub, yeah. uh, I think leading into our, our last game. And um, and then yeah, and it was sad to see Adrian go because he was very good, not only for the club but for for our supporters. You know, even for myself, my family, with Michael as well. He was very close with Michael, my son. So it's um, yeah, it was sad to see him go. But I guess that um, you can just, and I guess the listeners can only hear what we're saying. But I can just see it in your face there that there's a real. Um, real good personal relationship that Adrian has with yourself and your family. So, um, again, comes back to when you've probably got multiple friends on the committee side and coaches and players, which, you know, over 30 years, it's just a, a fantastic, fantastic community that you can say, well, you can count 50 to 60 people where you can just talk and just be very close straight away through the bonds of soccer or football. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I look at to myself, I've always said, you know, Paul Cameron's had a great family. They're, they're all my family, the committee. And even now, you know, there's 90% of that committee that I've got have been with me since my whole time I've been president. So uh, it shows a lot of loyalty. Um, it shows a lot of commitment. Um, you know, sometimes we don't all agree to, to, you know, we agree to disagree. But when we walk out of that boardroom, we're all aligned and, and, and we, we move forward. But... I've met so many great people, you know, in the club, outside the club, and I can walk into the frat or walk into a leagues club and that, and I see someone we can talk football and go around to other grounds and talk to people that I've known for a long time. And, and you know, I respect them more, and I think I've gained their respect, but you, you need to gain it. And, yeah, and I think the type of person that, that I've been with, with the clubs, and, and I think myself that, that I've gained the respect from, from the clubs, and that's why I can walk into anywhere and just have a chat to anyone. Yeah, and like I said, uh, I'm huge, hugely honoured and, and um, appreciative of you coming on uh, my little podcast because it just shows, um, you know, your, um, your uh, I guess, humility um, and that you're able to talk to anyone and everyone and really give everyone a go. So um, it does say a lot about you. So post-Adrian Alston, it was always going to be a challenge for the club but there could have been other clubs that maybe would have really faltered, maybe even got relegated. But you guys kept being around about and, and still are. And, yeah. and when other clubs have, um, as football or sport, it gets cyclical, you have ups and downs, but you guys have really uh, minimised that sort of down period. Um, do you, again, just put that down to the hard work of the committee and and volunteers, supporters, and your sponsors that you have got involved because it's it's been a credit to to everyone on the committee that you have stayed up in the Premier League and, and one of the top teams. Uh, that that hundred yeah, percent correct, Travis. That um, that credit goes to the board. Um, we've had, as I mentioned, a very stable board. So I think um, after Adrian's thirteen year tenure at the club, you know. We needed a stable board, so Adrian uh, went to the Wolves, and and we we kept 
the board on. So, um, and a lot of that board's there today. I think that helped stabilise the club so we didn't have many fractures. Look, and when Adrian left, we lost a lot of our quality first-grade players. Yeah, I think Michael Clare. Michael Clare, Shane McGurr, Robert yep. Cazzoli, Dominic Longa, Minya Bonatic. I, I, mean, th- I think they, even at Balgani, I'd sign all four of them today. <laughs> you know, like legend, legends of the game. And um, Kane McAbee, I think, moved on as well. So, and I've probably lost a couple there along the way. Matt Callahan, so uh, we we actually um, we thought that that year straight after that we were going to struggle a bit, but in the end, I think we just got into the top five, and then we, we played the final to get into the grand final against Picton, and we lost that one. So um, and that was at home under lights. So even though I thought it was going to be very difficult, and it was very difficult to start with, but. You know, it's a lot of hard work. You know, the committee works hard. I think the, it rubs off on the coaches and the yep. players, and and everything else just happens. But a lot of hard work to get to to sustain what Adrian had. But as you said, uh, you know, when Adrian did leave, we did win two other league championships after yeah. that. But before that, we also uh, got in the grand final. Uh, I think in ninety no, two thousand and eight and. Things like that. So when we lost to Albany Park Wild Eagles, so you know it, to get to a grand final these days is very difficult. Yeah, in definitely the very difficult to sustain that and being that top four, five, whatever it was even back then was very difficult. So uh, as you said, I'm very proud of the hard work the committee has done, and and even now you know that people like Maria Cazzoli, Frank Giuliani, Sean Till, Frank Stella, Johnny Caruso, Michael Salucci, George Bell. People like that just currently that are still there uh, supporting myself who, and, and all these people were there even through that era yeah, with Adrian. So um, we've lost a couple and a few and you know, they'll never be forgotten. Um, but the current ones there now were there when, when we had that uh, 13 years with, with Adrian as well. So, and that, that's where you see that a lot of that culture and hard work is, it's cascaded down to everyone else. And even in that sort of um, latter, sort of 2008, 2009, you'll probably correct me, but there was sort of a, a quality refurbishment of Wetherill Park, sort of a, a second... It had always been a great ground when I played there, um, but when in sort of closer... I think I'm right with that period, but the, uh, the, the sheds and that were added to, and yeah. it's just such a great facility, and, and the ground itself, so, you know, when... When we're talking that you're still in Premier League and always thereabouts in all grades, your facility of the ground was, you know, it's one of the best grounds in the Illawarra up there with the Cringillas, the Bull Eyes, and, and that must be something that you guys are proud of as well as a board. Very, very proud of that ground. Um, so you're, you're correct, Travis. In 2008, we actually uh, got approval to put another amenity block, which meant new toilets, a storeroom, uh, disabled toilet, so so we built that on the side of where the dressing room was. So we reconfigured the dressing rooms where it used to go in front of the shed, and that was always a safety hazard to myself where the yep. players had to come through the crowd to get on the yep. ground. So now they're coming behind and go out a separate gate. So we did all that, and and that was uh, commissioned and it was opened our first game in in two thousand and nine against uh, uh, the Dandaloo back then. Yep. Uh, John Fleming was our coach then as well. So, so the ground, the ground was that that facility was open, and also the outside field used to run um, uh, east west, and we yep. turned it around to run south 
north yeah. and we've enclosed that 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 ground that that ground as well so a lot of a lot of hard work happened during that period the thing is the ground uh, is a great ground it's in a residential area so we have to have we have to be transparent and have the yep. communication with the the residents so a lot of the residents come to our games you know we give them we go around give them a free ticket to all our games the shops in premium know when all our games are on so they'll know the traffic's coming through but we've had that interaction yep. with, with the residents so you know we've had night games there yeah what makes me proud is that we've held the premier league grand final at that ground in 2011. Yeah, that's it right. was a great game between the the dandy and, and tarawana and i think dandy ran out women's two goals to nil then um two years ago we held the the um the district league grand final uh between riddler wanderers and helensburg so um and we held another district league grand final before that as well so we've held three grand finals to me that's that's an achievement that's a milestone yeah, and, and that's a tick for myself too the to know that you know that grounds hill can be used for the big games that, yeah and and look in the premier league grand final the infrastructure and the logistics to get that ready you know where we had shuttle buses people parking at warren we have but two buses transporting the crowds to the game and and everything that had to happen to get that 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 because we only got awarded that very late in the piece when yeah, stadium's right. roof had problems so the association come to see us very late and so look, you didn't have the time to plan no and and we you know, we had drawings everywhere and, and trying to see, okay, well, this is where we're going to put that stand, this is where we're going to... So we we only had at least, I think it was five days to turn it around. And, and we did it. And, and from all reports, it was a great grand final. And, and, you know, talking to the people that were there that day and played it, and, and Pete, talking to Peter Dent, that was one of the organisers for the association, he still says that it was one of the best atmospheres they've had at a Premier League grand final. So, yeah. So as a board, it's it's like I said, um, I guess I see it because I've been on a committee where you look at other clubs and, and you know, you think, wow, that's that's the example that you want to try and do better, not just on the field, but off the mm-hmm. field as well. In terms of um, sponsors, they're, they're critical in terms of what we do on, on committees and, and without them... Um, you know, I don't think uh, people realise how much of a knife edge it is, mm. um, how much these companies and people that do sponsor uh, are very much community supporters because they don't always get the return on their uh, sponsorship. So over the years, um, who are some of these different sets of sponsors that might not even be sponsoring now but really uh, helped along with the board and the players and, and the supporters to make the club who it is today? Well, I'll go back to... Mimos, Mimos in uh, town. Yeah. Uh, I think when we won in '84, they were our major sponsor on our shirts. Um, then, then you got uh, the fraternity club. I mean, the fraternity club has been synonymous with our club. It's like a partnership, and and Mick Uda and the board. You know, they they've been tremendous, but they've been a long time uh, sponsor. Clondu, you know, they've been with our club for 16 years on the wow. front of our jersey, first grade. You know, Chairs and his family. Uh, great supporters of our club and you know it's just uh, and that's I think that's been great too like we've lost a lot of sponsors but also we've maintained our key sponsors yep. throughout all, all that time as well and and that comes with a lot of work too because you just can't get a sponsor on and then not interact with them you know you've yeah. got to continuously talking to them making sure that they're okay inviting them to your functions 
making sure they can get to the game, especially event days where we do the pizza day, the pasta day, a couple of pigs on the spit day. So, uh, and they enjoy that with their family. So they're the, they're the times. Like, I think the time's gone, Travis, where you can just have a football game and you think people are going to turn up. You know, yeah. it's you got to you got to give you got to give the parents a reason to want to, to come. Up. And then when you get the kids there, the parents will come. But you got to make it entertaining for the kids too. So we're looking at poor doing a few different things uh, when we have the, the event days, like having a jumping cast or things like that. Yep. That, uh, that the kids want to come back. Make it family yeah. orientated. Yeah. When um, you know. When you look back at it now, um, you know, it's been, I think, 36 years. And like you said, maybe when uh, work and family in that early 90s, um, you had a couple of years off, but it's still, it's a, it's a large, mm. large period of time. Um, you must feel uh, uh, very proud and, and obviously um, uh, very grateful as well because, you know, I know myself and, and I can only guess, but I'd imagine it's the case that um, your family has been a huge support um, and backing you up as part of being on the committee. So um, not that, you know, I want to get personal, but, you know, you must be very thankful for their support throughout. And, um, yeah, if you want to say a few words about that. Well, you know, people say to me, geez, you know, how do you get, how do, you get to do that, you know, with the club and, 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 and um, having kids? Well, my kids were very small when, when I joined Paul Kemmer. So Jaden wasn't even born... Kayla was not even mine. So, but at the end of the day, they were all born into the Pukemba family. So on a game day now, you, you, you can you can say uh, Michael's uh, like an assistant manager with our first grade. Anna sort of helps the club out in the canteen. Um, Jaden plays uh, for the club. My daughter Kayla's always there with her husband now and the little baby. So uh, for us, it's, it's like a family too. day. And then after the game, we come back to the frat. And, you know, we do the, the play the match awards or we, we come back with the players. We do the play the match awards when we're at, uh, playing at home and come back to the front. And then we'll have dinner together with some of the other committee people and some of the other family of the players. We'll get a table in the bistro for, say, 30 people or in the pizza offering place there, uh, and, and and we eat together. So to me, it's like, yeah, it, 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 is, it, takes, me a lot, uh, it takes me away from the family but on that game day, we're all together anyway, yeah. so it's very special. And, and look, I've got to admit, you know, if it wasn't for their support, there's no way I could do what I'm doing, especially uh, my wife and uh, the kids there. But, you know, they also know that I'm very passionate for it, so they actually encourage me to keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And where do you think that um, passion comes from? Because... Um, uh, my interaction with you over the years, um, you're very humble, um, you're always um, uh, objective, you're always sensible, you always think of the whole game in the Illawarra, but you know, for a guy that sort of, I guess, had a serious uh, injury in rugby league and, and might have not even been part of the game, um, where does that love of football come from when really your early passion was rugby league? I think it comes from the very start. I yep. think it comes from, from the board what they taught me and mentored me with, uh, the passion they had for the club, for Paul Kembler, uh, Angela Caruzzi. And, and I think we go back a step, even um, uh, before the 80s, in the 70s, you know, when we used to have meetings at Angela's uh, uh, garage in, in Warrawong, and his, his wife was a treasurer, Tony Caruzzi, and, you know, we had great people like that, and we had Frank... Uh, uh, 
Saturn and the Jabba Lilos and 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 the the, the fairies and and the Cooters and 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 the Frank Cooters, the Mick, the Claudes, and then uh, Emilio Giuliotti, uh, Abano Casoli. Um, you know, a lot of these people in our life members and all our life members, what, what they have instilled in myself, I think that's where the passion comes from and the drive. What I've seen in their eyes yeah. to succeed, that's what rubbed off on myself and, and that's what I try to do with my board and the new guys coming through at the moment is they see the hard work and, and I think as a leader you've got to lead. So you'll see me anytime down at Weatherall Park um, uh, sweeping out the dressing rooms, yeah. sweeping out the toilets, putting the barricades up for the referees. Doing what needs to be done. Doing what needs to be done and leading it. To me, even at work, titles are titles, yep. but I'm not as different as anybody else on my board. And that's the way I've been brought up that way in the club. Yep. And, and and I think people see that, that, you know, being humble. And, and if I have to get a broom and go into the toilet and sweep it out or change the toilet roll and, yep. or do whatever I have to do, that's where we'll cut the bread or... Or um, uh, clean, clean the amenities and uh, sweep underneath the, the the awning. I do it. It's you know? a real team approach. Uh, even now in the off season, getting the ground ready, I'm, I'm there. You know, when when there's working bees, I'm there. So, um, of course, there's times that I can't be there. But um, I've always been someone that leads leads from the front and and hopefully get people to follow you. But yeah, and in them early seventies. Uh, from the people that were there in the early 70s that came over when I joined in the 80s, they instilled a lot of that culture in me. And because uh, if you can sort of uh, tell the listener a bit more about um, Port's uh, sort of maybe earlier names and, and their history a bit, so when when was it formed? Uh, I, well, we celebrated uh, that the, the, the club was formed in 1966. Yep. Now, that's how we celebrate our 40th or 50th. Yep. If you talk to somebody really, really old, um, um, early, people, they, they might think it's 65. But we had to settle we, that 66 was the year that we started with all the information. That and were they Port Kemba in 66 when they played? Uh, I, I, back in 66, they weren't, I don't think they were called Port Kemba. Now, I mean, I, we can get that information, yep. but I know some of the names we've had is Trans Kembla, yep. where where Transfield was actually sponsoring the club. Yep. So for them uh, to sponsor the club, they had to change the name. Okay. So there was the Kembla yep. and Trans being Transfield, yep. Trans Kembla. And I think after that, we went to, to Paul Kembla. I do believe in 66 we were Paul Kembla, but I could confirm that. And I think um, people should uh, realise that, you know, that's not un- uncommon in the... I guess the seventies, um, where teams were named after, or partly with the companies. I think even Marconi was Marconi Datsun or something in the seventies, and and even Safeway, yeah. who played out of Bulleye, was Safeway was a, a car yard or a car company that sold cars. So, um. as stated by Emilio, he did come back to me through the great help of John Carusi. This confirmed pretty much what Emilio stated about Paul Kembler's history. The club had some initial names before being officially formed and they were Warrawong, Azuri and Lake Heights Blues. But they never officially played under these names. And as most of us are aware, the club has played under the names Port Kembla Football Club, Port Kembla Soccer Club and Trans Kembla. Yeah, it's it's definitely a rich history and... Um, and again, um, when I talk to, say, Frank Saladino, you know, there is really um, 
Australia is a great story of where people can come into the country, become part of the community and, and play the game that they love. Oh, absolutely. It's um, football here in Illawarra. I mean, you, you do, you're doing some tremendous work uh, going through the history and, and Hopefully, people are seeing what what's there because I love going forward and not looking at Port Kemblers, but looking at every other clubs and 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 you see the mateship that's been made. Yeah. You know, look, I think everybody wants to win, but at the end of the day, uh, I used to love the period and, and and I know now that clubs don't do it as much because everybody's got commitments with their sponsors. But I used to love the time where you know you used to get the clubs coming to each other after a yeah. game. You used to go to a club or a pub and you have both teams there. Yeah, you know, but great. now. Now I know it's a bit hard because of the commitments that that dollar, that dollar is not out there like it used to be. So if a club like the fraternity club is giving you X amount of dollars, you know, they want to see you there. So Amen and, 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 and that goes even for, you know, leagues clubs like DAPTA or Collegians. And, and I think that sometimes stops for that happening. But to me, that were the best times where, you know, you, you shout the other club that comes to your club a yeah. drink and you can talk about the game and that. And I know some clubs still do it, yeah. but I think that, that's been lost. But to me, you know, some of the mateships you've made, you know, uh, I mentioned Peter, I mentioned, uh, yeah, you know, around the other clubs like, now, there's too many to mention, but uh, I've got a good relationship with, I think, all the clubs, whether it's District League or, or the Premier League clubs. I, I can talk to any of them and I can walk into any of their clubs. They can walk into my club and say hello and shout them a coffee when they're at our ground. And Yeah, it's a good respect. And with, um, like you said, it's not always about um, winning because we, I guess, do it because there is a passion. But sometimes... Um, you know, like you said, after the Adrian Alston um, sort of era finished, you know, you guys were worried, but you had one of your best seasons, and even though you might have just made the semis and and, and did okay there, but didn't make a grand final, it was still satisfying. You got a, a real sense of uh, pride about the club, um, and people don't necessarily spend uh, large chunks of their life unless they do uh, really love it and have pride. Um, you must uh, look back in amazement and, and sort of and wonder at, at going, well, oh, what a ride it's been, you know, the people involved, um, to be part of the community, to give young men and women the opportunity to, you know, not be out in the streets, um, to build a facility up that's, you know, five-star for a suburban ground. Um, you must think back and look at these 36-plus years and go, wow, what, what, a, what a special honour it is to be part of a club and, and to do the work that you do. Oh, absolutely. It's different. You know, when you get to our ground, like myself, I get to my ground, I feel like... I, I just feel a sense of, you know, I want this to look good and I want that to look good, you know, because we're... we're to me, it's like entertaining people yep. when they come to your house. You know, so when people come to your house, you know, you want to put on at put least on cut the grass show, yeah. and make sure yep. that everything is looking fine. And 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 that's it's. And my committee will tell you that I can be, you know, sometimes pedantic with that because it's just attention to detail. And and that's. But I feel proud. I feel proud when someone comes in, the place is clean, and there's good food to have, and you know, we can put on uh, hopefully a quality show on the field, and and yeah, you know, that, that that's what it's all about. But you know. I say this, and, and coaches sometimes, because coaches unfortunately get um, get um, they get judged by the win loss column. So yep. many wins and losses they got. And I asked them before, you know, what 
what success means for someone could be different for someone else. Yeah, to me, I've had a lot of success. And the club, not me personally, but the club has had a lot of success. So, you know, you could just walk away from it and say, we've achieved everything. What else is there to achieve? But to me, I've still got, and the club's still got a passion to do better. So we're looking at putting a grandstand on uh, yeah. at Weatherall Park. And, you know, that, that, that's something that's been going on for over a year now. And me being me, thinking that you can do this quickly, it doesn't work in this, in this area with so much red tape that you have to cross. So, you know, hopefully we'll get that, but it might be in different stages and, and get a grandstand, a 180-seat grandstand uh, at Weatherall Park. So, you know, even though we've had success on the field, I still want that success off the field. And, of course, I'm like everyone else. When Pokemon plays, my thing is that I want to be competitive and yeah. hopefully try to win more games than we lose. But at the end, to me, I judge success as, yeah, winning's important, but I judge success about what culture we got in the club. How many people coming back to the frat for drinks after games? Yeah. What's what are people saying about your ground? What are people yeah. saying about your facilities? You know, uh, what are they talking about the match day experience? Did they enjoy the pizza? Did they enjoy the facilities? All people, all, all things like that. To me, once you people say, Emilia, we held the Bamba Cup final last year, and we got a letter from the association saying that it was great the way we held it, and, and everything was fine. To me, that's success. Yep, that's been successful. And what your peers are saying about you means a lot as yep. well. And uh, when you you look to the future, you you've discussed it now about the grandstand. But um, what I got from you just then is that when you walk into the ground, there's you know, you want people to, to feel good, to have a great time there, but um, even though it's just bricks and mortar and just grass, it does give you a feeling, doesn't it? Because those years and years by hundreds of different people, um, players, coaches, um, committee people, or the board, you know, even though it's n- not something living, it is something living, isn't it? Uh, every time I walk into that ground and like a lot of our committee walk in there that have been there for a long time they know the people that worked hard on that ground the Cullen Otrianis, the Livio Ferries, uh, the Vince Gudiasis you know like people that used to uh, you know like they were the grounds people there, the Lino Cazzolis you know like and they and when I walk in that ground it's, it's like I've got a sense of responsibility yeah. to these people that have done a lot of the hard work and the Bruno Reginelli's, the Frank you know like I can go on but so when I walk into that ground, it gives me a sense that, you know, I've got, we're fortunate that we've got this because back in 83, people had vision to say, geez, you know, if we ever get the Premier League, we're going to need something. So if they waited to 84, they would have missed the boat. So there, yep. there was a lot of planning already taking place. So, you know, to me, walking that ground, you've got a sense of responsibility to the people that have made that happen. And, and that's what, why I always, myself personally, when I walk in there, it's not lost to me that... You know that people like that, and even uh, John Mastriani that's there marking the ground, and the Frank Chodges, you know, they mark the field, but we've got a sense of responsibility for these people to make sure that the field's looked after when yep. they come there to mark it. At least they can mark a straight line. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's too much more to say. Um, like I said, I'm I'm very uh, appreciative, very respectful that um, someone like yourself that. Um, you know, from a committee perspective, I look up to, um, and and just um, and not more so in a positive sense. You know, sometimes people can say, "Oh, they've got this or they've done that," but it's something to look up to. And I think your your board and um, and previous board members and, and players and the volunteers and supporters should be very proud of uh, 
what's happening out there at Brimby. It's a, it's a great club, so uh, thank you very much for your time, Emilio, and it's been a great pleasure. No, thank you for that, Travis. I just want to, if I can say, uh, our life members um, are very important to the club, um, but exactly you hit the nail on the head. It's every everyone that's been part of that club, whether it's been a volunteer, a player, a sponsor, a committee member, everybody is at buying to what that club is all about. There's, there's one uh, person too I, I'd like to mention because he, he came to our club in 2010 and we didn't have the best years in 2009 and that, that was Stuart Beattie. And, um, you know, Stuart had seven years at the club so he was the second longest after after Adrian at the, at, at the helm of Paul Kemble. And, you know, in, in, in his time there, he won two league championships, a couple of club championships, uh, a grand final in 2013. He did the double. So I just wanted to make, I just wanted to mention Stuart yeah. because he did a lot, a lot of hard work. Because in in 2009, uh, we had a very difficult year, and uh, and he left Dapta to come to Port. So. Uh, yeah, I want to take my hat off to him for taking that challenge up and, and leading the club to, to a lot of glory as well. And um, like I said, good luck in the 2019 season. And I think it's Steve Dimitreski. Um, yep. He's coaching and he's done a lot in the in the district leagues and whatnot. And um, I've, I've worked with the guy um, at my previous employment and he's a Bally Junior. So good luck to him and, and you guys in, in this season coming. Really no, appreciate your time, Amelia. No, thank you, Travis. Thank and, you. And well done for the work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and supporting the social media pages. I really do appreciate it. The individual feedback that slowly filters through enthuses me to do better and to listen to more local soccer slash football history. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.